We want to continue in uh, the series that we have been dealing with coming from the book of First Peter. Uh, we're going to jump a little bit. Uh, this is not really an exegetical study. If it were, we would stay uh, uh, in First Peter chapter 2. But we're going to jump tonight to First Peter chapter 4. So I call your attention, please, to 1 Peter chapter 4. I want us to look at verses 1 through 11. The theme of, of this series has been living hope. Uh, it is uh, coming from the book of 1 Peter, which was written uh, at a time when God's church was under severe and terrible uh, persecution facing uh, inordinate amounts of suffering. And one of the purposes of the writer is to instill in his readers uh, a renewed sense of hope in God that would sustain them through their trouble. Uh, here in First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, what the writer seeks to do is to offer a theological explanation for the terrible suffering that the early church was enduring. The writer wants to suggest that no Christian should be surprised, put off, upset, disappointed, or pushed back in their faith because of the suffering that they experience. The writer says, actually, the reverse is true. Your suffering should be expected, and in that it should be expected, it should also be received with a degree of gladness. Now, as I was preparing this lesson, I do two different Bible studies on, on Wednesdays, uh, but it is often <clears throat> interesting to me and not in any way planned by me that uh, the theme from the noon Bible study bleeds into what we talk about in the evening Bible study and vice versa. Sometimes the theme from the evening bleeds into uh, the noon Bible study. Today, in the noon Bible study, we were talking about faithfulness. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And we were talking about uh, one of the descriptives of the fruit of the Spirit, which is faithfulness. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. We have made the point in that Bible study that there is but one fruit of the Spirit. They're not a bunch of different fruits. There's one fruit from the Holy Spirit. That fruit is love, agape love. But that, uh, as Paul describes that love, he uses several different adjectives, and among those adjectives is faithfulness. Now, this is what we said to the noon Bible study uh, today as with regard to what faithfulness is, and, and it's relevant to what we're talking about. I, I'm, I'm not skipping around. It's relevant to what we're talking about. This is the definition that we used for what it means to be faithful. Faithfulness is unfailingly remaining loyal and putting that loyalty 
into consistent practice regardless of the circumstances. It is unfailingly, that means that there is no time when we should fall short of being faithful to God. It is unfailingly remaining loyal and putting that loyalty into consistent practice. Consistent means regular, all the time, regardless of the circumstances. Now, what that means is there is no time when you have the right to not be faithful to God. How does that play into what we're talking about tonight? We're talking tonight from 1 Peter chapter 4, where Peter says, you don't have a reason to be upset when you're going through suffering. You see how that bleeds, how one bleeds right into the other? It is important for us to understand that suffering is a part of our human existence. And the fact that you are saved, the fact that you are sanctified, the fact that you are heaven bound does not in any way negate the fact that you're going to suffer and you're going to suffer in any number of ways. You're going to suffer physically. You're going to suffer emotionally. You're going to suffer economically. You're going to suffer with regard to human relationships. You're going to suffer spiritually. It is simply a part of life. And so I am constantly frustrated and and disappointed and sometimes angered when I hear uh, supposedly intelligent uh, clergy and Bible teachers try to convince people that there is a way to escape suffering. And And I wonder what Bible are they reading? From, from, from where did they draw this conclusion? And if you're not teaching the Bible, that's something else altogether. But, but if you're teaching Scripture, there is no way in the world that you can come to the conclusion that you can escape suffering. Nobody wants to talk about it, but that's our problem. It's a reality of life. And, and, and so the fact that it's a reality means that we should not ignore the reality of it. Peter says in 1 Peter that there is a reason for our suffering. And, and the reason is manifold. Turn back. I, I said we're, we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 4. Turn back briefly to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I want us to look at verses 17 and 18 and then verse 22. It's better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to be punished for doing bad. That's what Christ did definitively. Suffered because of others' sins the righteous one for the unrighteous ones. He went through it all, was put to death, and then made alive to bring us to God. Skip over to verse 22. Jesus has the last word on everything and everyone from angels to armies. He's standing right alongside God 
and what he says goes. Do you see that? The major thrust here is that our suffering for Christ is to be an imitation of the suffering that Christ did for us. That's the theological explanation. As Christ suffered for us, so we must be willing to suffer for him and for the faith that he brings us into. Now, you can listen to these people who tell you that Jesus suffered so that you don't have to suffer, and you can listen to them misquote Isaiah where it says, by his stripes we have been healed. Healing does not mean that you don't continue to hurt. Healing means that whatever it is that's causing you pain won't kill you if you don't let it. Have you ever been healed of something and still you got scars from, from, from the healing that you had? You, you ever sit around and compare scars? Uh, that, that's a guy thing. I'm sure women don't do that. But, but guys sit around and we compare scars and we talk about where our scar came from. We talk about how many bones we got broken from doing some of the crazy stuff that we did. We, 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 but, but the fact that we have been healed of these things does not mean that from time to time it doesn't hurt. I got a leg, my, my left leg, I fell while I was running and, and, and landed on a brick and I had a deep thigh bruise. I thought my leg was broken as bad as it hurt. It wasn't broken. It was just a deep thigh bruise. But to this day, I still limp. Even if it's just a slight limp, I still limp on. And the older I get, the more pronounced the limp becomes. Now, the leg ain't going to kill me. In fact, the leg don't even hurt no more. But guess what? I still got a limp. The fact that we have been healed by his stripes, we have been healed. Does not mean that we don't still have to suffer sometimes. And, 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 and that concept that people want to espouse, that because he, he endured all this pain, that you don't have any pain to endure, that would be wonderful if, if it were true. Nobody wants to hurt unless you got something going on crazy in your head unless you have a mental or an emotional problem, nobody in his right mind wants to hurt. But the reality is you can't get away from pain. I said this to, 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 to the group uh, this morning. As you get old, and, and I said old and they, they pushed back, so I changed it from old to older. <laughs> And they accepted older a little bit better than old. But, 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 but the point I'm making is, as, as you age, you go through different stages in your life. And as you go through different stages in your life, you see things change. The energy that you had 10 years ago, you ain't got it today. You, you wake up in the morning at 8 o'clock, and at 10, you're ready for a nap. Get up at 2, 
By four, you ready for a second nap. Change has taken place. Reverend Sanders is sitting there. Reverend Sanders and I grew up together, went to Baton Rouge High together, ran on the track team together. Look at Brother Sanders. <laughs> Brother Sanders. <laughs> That's right. Hold it in. Hold in the stuff. Brother Sanders ran hurdles for our track team. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> you have the ambulance out there waiting for it. He, he ran hurdles. I threw the javelin. I threw the shot put. I threw the discus. But everybody had to run cross country. 2.4 miles. You had to run cross. Well, that, okay. You, you go out there and run 2.4 miles then, since, since, since that's all. You had to run 2.4 miles. In order to be on the track team in the spring, you had to run cross country in the fall. There was a time I, as, as, I was always big. There was a time when I could run 2.4 miles. Tried not. Came walking. I, it's a different time brings on a change. Physical changes take place. Color your hair whatever color you want. You know what's underneath all that color you put in there? Gray. And some of us ain't got to worry about color because it's all going, it's all going away. It, it, it's not there. Time brings on a change. It's not always a physical change either. Or, or I should say it's not only a physical change. Time brings on changes in relationships. People who you depended on, who you trusted in, are no longer there. They've gone on to try the realities of another world. Some didn't die, they just left. And relationships where you were so close, and now you have nothing to say to one another. You're estranged from one another. Time brings on a change. Things that were important to you 10 years ago are no longer even significant anymore. Things that, 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 that you used to get all excited about and anxious about, now nah, it doesn't mean anything to you at all because time has brought on a change. Part of that change that takes place is having to deal with the reality of suffering. Keep getting up in the morning and you start realizing that there are more days behind you than there are in front of you. And, 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 and you recognize that as much as you might want to, as much as you might think that you can escape it, unless Jesus comes back, you leave in here the way everybody else leaves here. You're going to die. I don't know whether they're going to bury you. I don't know whether they're going to cremate you. I don't know what they're going to do with you, but you're going to die. That's the truth. So don't let anybody lie to you about what the reality of life really is. We all have to suffer. And the fact that you are in Christ does not negate the fact that you have to suffer. In fact, Jesus said that very thing. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, 
take up his cross and follow me. And I love the way Peterson translates that, that, that take up your cross portion in, 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 in his translation of Matthew chapter 16. He says, don't run from your suffering, but embrace it. And that's what it is that we must learn how to do. We must learn how to embrace our suffering and recognize it for what it is. God teaches us through our suffering. God teaches us through our setback. God teaches us through our defeats. And the lesson that Peter says in this passage, we learn from it, is how to rely less on us and more on him. He says we are following Christ's example when we suffer. And he says that as we follow the Christian example, it sets a pattern for us that reminds us that while we suffer in this life, there is a triumph that awaits each of us on the other side of our suffering. And that triumph comes through our fidelity, our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. So, looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more. Learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your way. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. First thing I want you to see in these verses is that the writer invites us to either identify with Christ or identify with the world. And that's really what, what, what our choices are. You have to choose one or the other. If you don't identify with Christ, then you are identifying with the world. And if you are identifying with Christ, then you are rejecting, you are pushing back against the world. But part of that identification with Christ is identifying with his suffering. Jesus says to, to James and John when they come to him and, and say, Lord, we want one to sit on, our, on, on your right hand and the other to sit on your left when you come into your kingdom. He says, can you drink from the same cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with the same baptism that I am baptized with? And they said, well, yeah, why, why not? Sure, sure we can. And he confirms that you will drink from the same cup. You will be baptized with the same baptism. Now, forgetting everything else that he says beyond that, what does it mean to drink from the same cup? Suffering. What does it mean to be baptized with the same baptism? Suffering. And our desire to die to one way of life and be raised to another. Baptism is, is really a symbol of a death to one life and an embracing of the other. And, and, and the death is to the, the, the old man, the carnal man, the human part of us. 
And the new life is embracing the life that Christ brings to us. Understanding that the life that Christ brings to us includes suffering. Or else why would Jesus say things to his disciples like, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say, oh, man, of evil against you falsely because of me. You think he was just running out of stuff to say and just threw that in there? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that use you and persecute you. You think he, 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 he just threw that out there? If a man strikes you on one cheek, turn to, turn to him the other also. Now, now, now you all caught up with, with getting hit on two cheeks. What you're missing is the fact that you're going to get hit. You're going to get hit more than once. If a man compels you to walk one mile, go two. Compulsion. That means making you go where you don't want to go. Forcing you into situations where you don't. I don't want to have to deal with that. I thought that when I came to Christ, all of that stuff was over. I don't know where you got that. Oh, oh, yeah, I do know where you got that from. You listen to all that foolishness that they put on social media. You read all that nonsense. I have found that Instagram and Facebook have replaced bumper stickers. It used to be you would read stupid stuff on people's cars as they pass by. Now all you got to do is click on your smartphone or your computer and read stupid stuff that's supposed to be from God. Don't buy into that. Especially anything that suggests that you can escape suffering in this life. Also, while I'm on that subject, don't buy into things that suggest that it's okay to seek revenge on other people or the glory in other people's hurts. A lot of that passes through Facebook and Instagram too. And, and, and just because they put it in a certain font that makes it look religious doesn't make it godly. We should not glory in anyone's failures or faults. In fact, we are taught to pray for those who are caught up in their own messes. I know that some people are delighted that, 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 that Mr. Cohen went to jail today. In sincerity, you ought to be praying for him and for his family. If you... If you don't know, going to jail is not an easy thing. And ain't nothing fun about it. I've gone to Angola a couple of times. And I go there as a visitor. And I can't wait to get out. I've gone to parish prison several times. I can't wait to get out. And I know I ain't there but 10 minutes. Ain't nothing good about going to jail. So, 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 so nobody should be celebrating what happened today with Mr. Cohen or for that matter with anybody else. We should, we should recognize that part of our Christian stewardship is learning how to pray for those who oppose us and pray for those whose positions we oppose. 
And it's not always an easy thing to do. But it is what God expects us to do. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, I want you to hear that. This idea, I'm going through stuff that ain't nobody gone through before, put that away too. There is nothing that you are dealing with that others have not already dealt with. Have you been betrayed? Somebody else has been betrayed as well. Have you been lied on or lied to or lied about? Somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. Somebody stole something from you? Oh, God, join the club. People gossiping about you? Nothing new. Your children have failed you. Your your children have acted like they've lost their mind. If you have any children at all, it's going to happen. Felt like I was going to strangle him. Just pull back. Else you're going to be going to that jail thing that we were talking about. There is nothing that you face that he hasn't already faced. So then, if he has faced something, when, when, when you first went on your job, after you got your education, after you went through your orientation, whatever you did to get trained for your job, when you went on your job, generally speaking, and if, it, if, if this wasn't true for you, just go with me. Generally speaking, you were paired with somebody who had more experience than you to help show you the ropes and teach you how to deal with things. What the writer of 1 Peter is saying is since Jesus has gone through it all, why would you hook up with anybody else other than Jesus? They pair you up with somebody who has more experience to show you, well, the book says do it this way, but actually you can do it that way and everything will be fine. They got 10 rules here. You can do one, two, and five. You ain't got to worry about all the rest. That, 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 that's why they pair you up so they can show you how to actually get things done. Who else can show you better how to get things done than Jesus? Who else would you prefer to get hooked up with? Paired off with. Since he has suffered everything that you suffer and more. Why not hook up with him? Let him lead you through what you're dealing with. You're dealing with suffering? Who suffered more than he did? They took him. They beat him all night long. Beat him with their fists. Spat in his face. Slapped him around. They took a cat of nine tails. And they bent him over him. Took his robe off his back. And they beat him with lashes with bone and, and pieces of pottery braided into the lashes so that every time it hit his skin, it cut. And then they pulled and it ripped. And he bled profusely, so much so that he swelled. Swelled to the place that one scripture says that he, he, was, in, he was unrecognizable from, from, from the swelling. They put a cross on his shoulders and forced him to carry it 
about two miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. Then they laid him on the cross that he had to carry. And they took construction spikes and they sledgehammered them into his hands and into his feet. And then they planted him between two others, two male factors, two revolutionaries, two thieves, if you, if you like. And there he hung for six hours, fighting for every breath that he had to take. Who else can help you deal with your suffering? Who would be better for you to be paired off with than Jesus? And so what does, what, what does he do in, in the midst of this suffering? First, first thing he says, and he, and he has to fight for every breath. And if you've ever tried to talk when you can't breathe, it's a hard thing to do. But the first thing he screams out is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who better for you to be paired off with as you deal with your suffering? How else can you maintain a sense of hope going through all that you must go through? You look to the one who went through more than you could ever conceive of going through. You've already put in your time in that God-ignorant way of life, partying night after night, a drunken and profligate, excuse me, life. Now it's time to be done with it for good. Of course, your old friends don't understand why you don't join in with the old gang anymore. But you don't have to give an account to them. They're the ones who will be called on the carpet and before God himself. If you are in Christ, then things that used to satisfy you shouldn't satisfy you anymore. That, 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 that's really all this is. Said, you, you've lived foolishly long enough. Some of y'all couldn't wait for Friday to come or whatever day your day off was, whatever day your Friday was. And you had the intention of getting drunk. Do you know how crazy you have to be? To have the intention when I get off from work. I'm going to go get drunk. Crazy. Stop by the convenience store and you, and you ain't even getting drunk on good stuff. You're getting drunk on cheap stuff. In a paper bag. Put your little thing in there. Thinking when, when the brown bag goes up to your mouth, what do you think they think you're doing? You think the bag fools? Anybody? That's, that's what you used to do. And it used to satisfy you for a minute till you woke up the next morning, or better yet, the next afternoon. Hung over. Don't know what you did. Heaven help you if you woke up in a bed that you don't recognize it wasn't your bed. And then you got to deal with who's in the bed with you. And then you got to wonder, what did you do? 
I ain't talking to children, grown folk in here. Y'all know what I'm talking about? No, oh, I can't believe he said that. Really? That's you. You've already put in your time in that God ignorant way of life. Do you see that? What does God ignorant mean? It means you don't know God. I, I, I remember as a child, if you called somebody ignorant or stupid, you should be ready for a fight because a fist was going to come your way. But truly, the, the meaning of the word ignorant is that you don't know no better. And so Peter's not saying this to insult anybody. He's saying this to describe who you are. You don't know who God is. And so you go looking for substitutes to provide relief from what you're dealing with. Some folk didn't stop at liquor. Some folks snorted stuff. Some folks smoked stuff. Some of y'all still smoking stuff. Can't wait for the laws to change. So that you ain't got to hide and smoke it no more. You think folk can't smell that stuff on you when you pass by? Breath mints don't cover it up either. All in your hair, all in your skin. That's all right. Get mad. I know I'm telling the truth. So, 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 some people shot stuff into their systems. All in the, in, in the terrible attempt to try to find some relief from the suffering that you're going through. When the scripture says, don't try to find relief from it because it's real. Embrace it and learn from it and learn how to grow in it. The greatest thing that you can do is learn how to play with pain. And I ain't talking about on a football field or on a basketball court. I'm talking about the pain of life. You've suffered a loss. A loved one has died, a spouse, a child, a parent. That's a pain. And for some people, their lives stop when their loved one died. That's not what God wanted for you. That's not God's plan for you. That's your plan for you. I don't know what I'm going to do without so-and-so. You're going to get up. And you're going to move on. And you're going to put one step in front of the other. Bible says David had a child that was lying there dying sick. God told him the child was going to die because the child was what was the product of an illicit relationship. And God told him the child is going to die. And yet when the child got sick, David went into a room with the child. And David prayed. And David refused to eat. And David refused to bathe. And David refused to change his clothes, all in the hope that God would change his mind and allow the child to live. And when the child finally did die, the scripture says they were scared to tell David that the child had died for fear 
of what he would do to himself or to someone else in his anguish. And yet, when he was told that the child had died, Scripture says he did something that they weren't expecting. He picked himself up. He bathed himself. He shaved himself. He changed his clothes. He sat at the table. He told the servants to bring him something to eat. And he ate. And they didn't know why. They couldn't understand his response. He went through all of this grieving. He went through all of this agonizing. He went through all of this pain. He went through all of this self-lamenting and torture of himself when the child was sick. But when the child died, he picked himself up, cleaned himself up, sat at the table and ate. And somebody finally got up the nerve to ask him, what's this all about? And David said, he can't come to me, but I can go to him. Talking about the child. He can't come. He, he, he's not coming back to me, but I can go to him. I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to carry on my life. Ask yourself this question as you deal with your suffering. The person that you're grieving over, would they be happy that your life stopped when theirs did? I just can't get over it. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm not making, look, I've lost people. I've lost a grandmother who raised me I've lost parents who loved me and cared for me and did for me. And one I lost at a very, very, very uh, early point in in, in my pastorate. I hadn't been preaching very long when she died. It was a painful thing. But I can tell you this. Nobody who, who was in my life who's gone on would want me to stop at the point where they left. And I just don't believe that that would be what somebody who loves you would want you to do. It's part of life. It's part of the, it's part of the, the stages of life that we go through. We grieve and then we move on. Because that's what life is made of. Now, some people are still trying to recapture something that ain't coming back. It's like wearing clothes out of the 70s. It ain't coming back. This suit still fits. Yeah, but you look crazy in it now. (laughs) Y'all remember leisure suits? You see somebody walking in with a leisure suit, what you gonna do? All y'all gonna look at each other and say, what in the world? It was part of a certain time. But it belongs in that time. You can't get what God has for you in front of you. Looking back at what you used to have. And I know that that, that perhaps what you used to have was great. It was wonderful. It was glorious. It was fabulous. But it belongs in the past. 
It's time for something else. Everybody's mad because Alabama is still the top team in the nation. I'm not an Alabama fan. But, 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 but I acknowledge what is. Alabama is, is far and away the best college football team out there. Yeah, it's all right. You ain't got to say amen. It, it, it just is. But part of the reason why Alabama is so much better than everybody else is because Nick Saban was willing to change. The Alabama team that he has now is not the team that he had five years ago. And that team was awesome. It's not the team that he had 10 years ago. And that team was awesome. But he recognized that there were changes taking place. When he lost that, that, that national title to Clemson that year, he recognized as much as he hated it, he had to change in order to keep up with what was going on. Well, if that's true about football, about something that really doesn't matter in the larger scheme of life, then can't we learn a lesson from that in our own lives? It's wonderful to look back at yesterday's. I like sitting around with, 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 with Reverend Sanders and talking about high school days. I ain't going back to high school. Wouldn't if I could. Nice to remember them. I run across people that I haven't seen in years, and, and we spend 10, 15 minutes talking about, how's this one? And, I, and when, when's the last time you heard from that one? And then you move on. I ain't going back to that. Because what the Lord has for me is not behind me. What the Lord has for me is in front of me. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And that's Jesus talking. So enjoy what the Lord blessed you to have. Be thankful for what the Lord blessed you to have. Learn from what the Lord blessed you to have. But don't try to relive your yesterday. He says that that's living a God-ignorant way of life. Listen to the message. It was preached to those believers who are now dead, and yet, even though they died, just as all people must, they will still get in on the life that God has given in Jesus. Everything in the world is about to be wrapped up, so take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. Do you see that? Now, you have read it because I just read it to you. Question is not can you read it, it's can you believe it? Can you believe that love makes up for anything? That's what it says. Love makes up for practically anything. You mean the, the, the hurts that people brought into my life? Love makes up for that. Because love allows you to forgive. See, 
couple of weeks ago, we, we, again, in the noon Bible study, talking about fruits of the Spirit, or uh, fruit of the Spirit, we, we talked about the, the descriptive of forgiveness. And, and whenever I get on the subject of forgiveness, I try to remind people that forgiveness is the true measure of your faith walk. If you can't forgive, then you're having problems with your faith walk. And I understand that it's a process. I understand that you have to go through stages. But you got to start somewhere. If you're still holding the same level of resentment and anger and hatred and desire for revenge for something that happened years ago, now, then you haven't started on your journey. You haven't started on the process of growing and maturing and turning things over to the Lord. And it hinders your ability not only to have a strong relationship with God, but it hinders your ability to be effective in your relationship with one another. I know you don't want to hear this. I'm probably boring y'all to tears. But, 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 but I want you to, to, to think about something. Nobody wants to hear you complaining and whining all the time. I don't care who they are. There comes a time. There comes a place. There comes a moment when whining and complaining and crying and grieving. I don't want to hear no more of that. And you, if, if, if that's what characterizes your behavior, if that's the, the, the scope, the length, the breadth of your conversation, then what you're going to find pretty soon is that ain't nobody going to be talking to you. Because if they see you coming before you see them, they're going to go in a different direction. Y'all remember Hee Haw? Used to come on on Saturday afternoons. Hee Haw. There was a skit that they did in Hee Haw almost every week where four guys would, would, would come up out of the cornfield and they would sing gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. That's how you sound to some folk. You see how you laughing at me right now? That's how you sound to some folk. Every time you open your mouth, every time you breathe, every time you do anything, is gloom, despair, and agony on me. No, nobody won't hear that. You lose your effectiveness with the brethren. How can you say that you're standing up for Jesus? If every word out of your mouth is gloom, despair, and agony, deep, dark depression. Really? 
Love makes up for practically anything. It is the love of Jesus Christ that allows us to continue to have hope even in the most desperate and dark and dreary of situations. And if we are to follow the example of Christ, then we are to learn how to love one another as Christ has loved us. And love makes up for practically everything. Now then he gives you some, 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 some practical examples. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry and a bed to the homeless. And then it says, cheerfully. When, 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 at the church I used to serve, there, there, there was uh, one of the associate ministers used to pray a prayer that I always found amusing. He would say, bless this one and bless that one and bless the other one. And, and, and to keep from missing anybody, he would say, and all those I'm duty bound to pray for. And, and, and I would always smile when, 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 when he said that. Because who is it that you're not duty bound to pray for? Who, who, who is it that, that Jesus would say, it's okay if you don't include them in your prayer? That's all right, you don't have to answer. I'll tell you what the answer is. Nobody. You're duty bound to pray for every one. But, 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 but the other thing that, 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 that used to cause me to smile when he said that is that it made it sound like it was a chore rather than a joy. You know the way some of y'all act when y'all come into church? It's 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. Well, actually, it's 8.15 when y'all actually come in. <clears throat> and, and, and some of y'all come in with a face. I really don't want to be here this morning. Oh, is that quiet today? I, I really didn't want to hear them. If it's a chore, if it hurts you, if it's that big a problem, I have an idea. Stay home. It's okay. It's okay. Because when you come to the Lord's house, it ought to be the most exciting thing that you do. Let me tell you something. When I was a kid, I knew when Sunday morning came. Because Sunday morning was the only time my grandmother made bacon. So when I smelled bacon in the kitchen, I knew it was Sunday morning. I knew I had to get up. I knew I had to come to church. And I, 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 I'll admit, when I was a child, I didn't always want to come to church. But unless you were sick, you had to get up and you had to come. I got away with faking sick one time. Just one. Got, got away with faking sick one time and had to drink castor oil. Because I was faking that, that I was sick. 
I, I, I didn't always want to come to church, but I knew when I woke up and I smelled bacon, Sunday morning, got to come to church. Back then, there was just one service. There was, there was Sunday school at 930, and then there was worship at, at, at 11. And I had to go to Sunday school, and I really didn't like going to Sunday school. I didn't like sitting there and, and having to listen to, to the stories. I felt like I knew the stories better than the teachers who were telling. So, but, but, but I had to get up and I had to go. And then I had to come and I had to, I had, I had to sit through worshiping. And if you want to know why I know worship backwards and forwards, because that, that's all I knew was worship. God is the spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us I could say both parts. Because I was in church all the time. Didn't always want to be here. Didn't always have an appreciation for it. But you know what now? When Sunday morning comes, I'm up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Excited about coming to the Lord's house. I don't always feel good when I walk in here. But I feel better when I'm here than I do when I'm not here. And as, as was evidenced a couple of Sundays ago, when everything said stay home, sick as a dog, weak as a kitten, you couldn't have kept me out of here with dynamite. What accounts for the change? The change is I know where my help comes from. My help comes from being with him. My help, it, it, it's not just a private thing. I can worship the Lord by myself in my home, in my living room. It's not just a private. No, I want to be with the brothers and sisters. I want to be in the same room with I want. I want to feel their energy. And if they ain't got no energy, I want to lend them some of mine. Can't wait to get here. Can't wait to be a part of the worship experience because I know what it does for me and to me and how it helps me. I don't know how you can say that you are part of the body of Christ and, and, and yet you've got to grumble when you come into the Lord's house. I don't know. I got, I, I got four minutes left and y'all going to be mad anyway, so I don't know how y'all can just stay home. If the temperature drops below 40, it's too cold. If it rises above 80, it's too hot. If one drop of rain falls, oh, I might not be able to make it there this morning. I don't know how y'all can stay home. I don't know how y'all cannot come. To the Lord's house. Y'all got Sundays already picked out when you know you ain't coming. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Some of us come from, from a background where you didn't go to church every Sunday. Where, where, where you had part-time churches. And you all have, have it so ingrained in you that, that for some of you, it is anathema to go to the Lord's house every Sunday morning. Where else 
is a better place to be than here. And I'm sure glad that the Lord don't take off days on me. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. My, my, my point is simple. I don't know how you can say that you're in the Lord's, that, 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 that you accounted with the Lord, and yet you don't want to be in the Lord's house. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's all right. I know y- y- y'all don't like what I'm saying. That's all right. That's okay. I'm good with it. I'm old now. I, I, I used to worry about what, 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 what folk thought. I don't worry no more, especially since I know I'm telling the truth. Y'all, 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 y'all got something that's already picked out when you know you ain't coming to church. You got something else that you're going to do, someplace else you're going to be, and you don't even think twice about it. I'm glad the Lord don't feel that way about us. There might be someone here tonight who after having been a part of this Bible study experience. We want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We're going to stand together, sing a verse of Just As I Am, and if there is one, we invite you to come. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou biddest me come to thee O Lamb of God I come I repeat after me please the Lord bless you the Lord keep you the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace Amen